a column in the paper today about Phil Kessel not having a good relationship with Mike Sullivan, the Penguins coach. Good column. I wrote that same column 10 days ago. No coach is ever going to have a good relationship with Phil Kessel. Kessel doesn't fit the mold of what a typical NHL player is today. Doesn't fit the mold of what a coach expects from a typical NHL player. He doesn't hit. He doesn't block shots. He's bereft of grit. But Kessel had 92 points, and that was quite useful. But this sour relationship story, it's not news. Because the relationship between Phil and Sully didn't turn sour. It has always been sour. This is the Mark Madden Show. You like it, you love it, you want more of it. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Or you can follow me on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. The Penguins would trade Kessel for the right offer. They see Sprong as the younger, cheaper successor. But the Pens won't get the right offer, so Kessel stays, and the Penguins are content with that too. It's that simple. Kessel did play hurt in the playoffs. That appeared pretty obvious. But he should have taken time off at the end of the regular season to heal up and frig the consecutive game streak. That also appeared pretty obvious. You know a word that's getting overused? Liability. Since the Penguins got eliminated, I keep hearing that this guy was a liability and that guy was a liability. I hear that word applied to Phil Kessel. But liability means you hurt the team's chances. Kessel didn't help much, but he didn't lose games. The Penguins' biggest liability was Washington played really good. But hey, that's Pittsburgh. You win two Stanley Cups in a row, and when you finally lose, you point fingers. That is not a good look, especially when almost every one of you doesn't have a clue. Tonight is Game 7 between Tampa Bay and Washington. I think Tampa is going to win, but I think Washington would have a better shot at beating Vegas. You can't be a better team than Vegas right now, the way the Golden Knights are playing. You need star power. The Caps have star power. The Lightning, not so much. But I know, I know. Penguin season is over. So let's talk about the Pirates, who appear to be falling apart. The Pirates lost their fourth in a row last night by a score of 7-2 at last play Cincinnati. Uh, Jamison Tyon got his ass kicked, and he's now 2-4 and four with an ERA of 4.56. That's after starting out 2-0 and oh with a couple pretty good starts right off the get-go this season. Ray Searage is supposed to be this great pitching coach, but you can't tell by Jamison Tyon... You can't tell by Tyler Glasnow. Tyler and Glasnow were supposed to be the two future aces. The future's here for both of them. 
and they both stink right now. And then Garrett Cole went to Houston, and he's pitching appreciably better. Is it okay to question Ray Searage? Uh, Austin Meadows hit another home run last night. Gregory Polanco popped up with the bases loaded. But Meadows will go back to the minors when Marte comes off the DL. Polanco will play every day despite sucking out loud. Meadows will join Nick Kingham in AAA. Kingham has arguably been the Pirates' best starting pitcher this season. That is when he's been in the major leagues. Uh, Austin Meadows has two home runs in 15 at-bats since joining the Pirates. He had one home run in 126 at-bats in AAA. How's that happen? That's kind of odd. I'm not sure the Pirates are actually collapsing. But they are down to fourth place in the National League Central, and they are now just six games over 500. Uh, Joe Musgrove, who came to Pittsburgh from Houston in the Garrett Cole trade, Musgrove makes his first start for the Pirates on Friday after being hurt to this point in the season. And that's a big moment. Someone needs to be a catalyst for that pitching staff. Trevor Williams has done well, but that's about it. Although, the Pirates team ERA is 4.14, and that ranks 15th in Major League Baseball, right in the middle. And the Pirates have scored the 7th most runs in MLB. If the pitching was even a little better, the Pirates might be onto something. My point about Searage is he's just an ordinary pitching coach. I'm not blaming him because Tyon ain't what he's supposed to be or because Glasnow ain't what he was supposed to be. But he's not getting him over the top either. And if he isn't, how much is Ray Searage really helping the Pirate pitching staff? But like Chuck Tanner said, if you have a 12-man pitching staff, the pitching coach will help four guys, hurt four guys, and four guys will do about the same. So Searage is not bad. Maybe typical is the word used, but in the past, because of reclamation projects like Liriano and Volquez, we've isolated on Searage's positive impact. Coming up at 3.30, Pittsburgh Riverhounds captain Kevin Kerr. Riverhounds at home tonight at Highmark Stadium for a U.S. Open Cup game. Tournament time against FC Cincinnati, who were first in the Riverhounds League, the USL. Then at 4.30, Hockey Talk with Mike Rupp. And at 5.30, in studio, it's Serbian reactionary Dayon Kovacevic. Okay, here's the breaking story of the day. The National Football League has a new anthem policy, and it sucks. It's not a policy so much as it's one big loophole. Each team has the authority to set its own rules concerning the anthem, but not really because all players who are on the field for the anthem must stand at attention, but players may voluntarily remain in the locker room. If a player goes on the field and takes a knee during the anthem or demonstrates in any negative fashion, the team would be subject to a fine. Not the player. The team is subject to a fine. 
This is fairly transparent what the league's doing. It makes the battle between the teams and their players because the teams set policy and the teams get disciplined. But it's still a PR nightmare for the league because the players who stay in the locker room during the anthem, they might as well be taking a knee because they will be identified and they will be villainized. Of course, the players who come out from the anthem are patriots and heroes, like Alejandro Villanueva pouring beer all over himself. The teams get fined when a player takes a knee. So teams are going to prohibit players from taking a knee. The teams will set that policy. I can't believe this is still a thing and was allowed to be a thing for this long. Art Rooney, the Steelers owner, says no one is being forced to stand. And that's right. They're being forced to not kneel. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. It's game five tonight between LeBron and Boston. What if LeBron gets to the final again for the eighth year in a row? Of course, LeBron has lost four of those. And LeBron has made it fashionable to lose in the final. He is a trendsetter in every way possible. In other NBA news, Sterling Brown is a rookie guard for Milwaukee. He was talking to cops about a parking violation, and the cops hit him with a taser. Zero provocation. Video shows that Sterling Brown was not being at all belligerent. So the cops in Milwaukee tased the guy over a parking violation. Ain't that America? Oh, well, at least it gives Al Sharpton something to do. And before you go on Google and call and tell me what I already know, that Sterling Brown was parking in a handicapped space, and you say, that's terrible, parking in a handicapped space. He should have been tased. Well, when Antonio Brown did it at training camp last year, y'all thought it was kind of cute. A.B., what the heck? Only there for a second, and look at that car. Black and gold Bentley, or whatever it was. 412-333-9939. Going to keep talking about that National Anthem thing. Going to keep talking about that Kessel and Sullivan thing. Stay tuned here on 105.9 The X. In the wake of the NFL's new anthem policy, which isn't a policy at all, it's just a giant loophole, San Francisco 49ers ownership has announced they will stop selling concessions during the playing of the national anthem so as to put proper focus on the national anthem. To quote Steve Carlson in the movie Slapshot, I'm trying to listen to the effing song. That was Steve that said it, right? Steve Carlson. I think so. Uh, Well, now that they're not going to sell popcorn during the anthem, I think the proper degree of patriotism has been restored, not just to this situation in football, but to the entire country as well. Uh, Again, the policy in a nutshell is players can't take a knee, but they can stay in the locker room. It's stupid. It's not finite. It has a loophole. The NFL needed to either not play the anthem, keep teams off the field for the anthem, 
or make all players be on the field and stand. The NFL has lost business and it needs to stem that tide. Set the conditions of employment. It's your league. The NFLPA has their panties in a bunch because uh, they did not have say in this decision, but uh, they've not had say in much else. It's the weakest union in sports and maybe in labor history, so F them. They ain't stood up for the players in much more important issues up to now, so they don't get a say in this either. I'm surprised that people are surprised that some of the past protesters are having trouble finding jobs in the NFL. Most notably, Eric Reed, a pretty good safety, who took a knee with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. But the owners have every right to do what's best for their business, just as the protesters had the right to kneel. Rights are rights. They're not limited to certain people. If you do what those guys did, you have to be prepared to pay a price, just like Tommy Smith and John Carlos did when they won medals and took the stand and raised the black glove fist uh, during the national anthem. That was Mexico City in 1968. That said... I hate the notion of being forced to be patriotic. That's not patriotic. That's nationalism. That's closer to Nuremberg than it is to America. Steelers should sign Eric Reed. He's a better safety than anybody they got. Uh, by the way, one more thing about Kessel and Sullivan not getting along. Uh, that article today in the paper. I don't care if Phil talks to the media or not. And I don't care that he didn't talk after the Pens got eliminated. I don't care at all. I don't care if any athlete talks. But by not talking, Phil did leave some questions lingering. And it didn't help that Sullivan and Rutherford gave different answers when it came to the effect of Phil's injuries. Uh, Kessel's teammates love him. Great teammate. Fans love Phil. They see him as kind of a cartoon character and want him to be immune from criticism. But you know what Kessel's teammates and the fans have in common? They don't have to coach Phil or be in charge of Phil. That's a difficult job, and just saying, like a mantra, nice guy tries hard and loves the game, that doesn't make that job easier. Nobody's trying to run Phil out of time like happened in Toronto or whatever. But Phil Kessel is a flawed player from a coach's perspective. He just is. Let's go to Kenny in Turtle Creek. Kenny, you're on with Double M. Good day, sir. Right. You know, I I think Penguins fans have adopted the mentality that uh, Steelers fans have. If you don't win the Stanley Cup every single year, it's a disappointment now. And because a lot of fans don't know what they're talking about, you need to find a scapegoat. You need to find someone to blame. I mean, just look back. So at far, you're time. right on the money. Yeah, just look back on this time last year. Phil Kessel was a hero. Everyone loved him. And now all of a sudden... Well, now, now hold it. Now you're, you're treading on, 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 on stupid ground, Kenny. Phil's not the scapegoat. The fans aren't blaming Phil at all. If anything, they're falling over black backwards to make sure that Kessel isn't blamed. The scapegoats are Murray and Latang. Let's not make any mistake. 
Those are the fan scapegoats. And that's even more absurd than blaming Phil. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess I was trying to equate the media seems to... Uh, oh, well, the media's got its knickers in a twist because Phil didn't talk after the season. There's no uh, doubt about that. I don't I mean, care if any of them talk. I just don't. But, you know, I'm not a beat writer. And I don't have column inches to fill, you know, in, in a newspaper or online every day. I understand why they're mad, but, uh, I mean, I know where Ron Cook got all that. But if I said it would be betraying somebody that I don't want to betray. But I know exactly where he got all that. And if you can't figure it out, I mean, come on. Let's go to Luke in Cleveland. Luke, you're on with double M. And he didn't get it from Sullivan, by the way. Not from Sullivan. Let's go to Luke double in M. Cleveland. Luke, you're on with double the super M. genius. What's up, Double M? What's up? Hey, uh, regarding Kessel, you say he, well, whatever the consensus is from the coaches, what exactly is it? I don't want to say come up with laziness or he has an attitude. It's or, not laziness. It, it's not attitude it, even. But he, right. he doesn't block shots. He doesn't hit. He doesn't practice hard. In systematic okay. drills, he coasts through them because he thinks they're stupid. I mean, gotcha. I've been saying this since the day he set foot in town. This is not a revelation. This is besides, not news. Besides his ability, is there any who is the nearest Phil Kessel-like player besides the talents? There isn't one. Gotcha. Well, actually, there is. Daniel Sprong. Nah. Uh, okay. You think I'm kidding? Oh, no, not I'm all, not, not kidding. And if having one of those on your team isn't exactly a coach's delight, wait till there's two. At least we got Simon. Yeah, Dominic Simon. But, but hey, I think Dominic Simon stinks, but you know what? He played 50-some-odd games less than Phil and had one more block. Four one two three 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 ninety nine thirty nine. I'm really looking forward to watching Game Seven tonight between Washington and Tampa. Our buddy Dan Rosen from NHL.com just tweeted: Ovechkin winning the Stanley Cup would secure his legacy in the minds of people who believe he hasn't secured that legacy already. Getting to the final is not enough to appease those critics, the people judging him against other great players in NHL history. He would have to win it. I disagree. To me, Ovechkin's the best goal scorer of his generation and arguably the best goal scorer of all time, given how tough it is to score in today's NHL. But Dan's right on the money about his critics. Ovi has to win, or that will forever be a blemish on his record. Up next, we're going to have a quick chat with uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds captain Kevin Kerr. The Hans host Cincinnati tonight in a U.S. Open Cup game. Then after that, I want to hear what you think of the NFL's new anthem policy. Dial and tell me, 412-333-WXDX. At 105.9. Let's talk soccer. The Pittsburgh Riverhounds have a U.S. Open Cup game at home tonight against Cincinnati. That's Highmark Stadium, kickoff at 7 p.m. Joining me now is the team's captain, midfielder Kevin Kerr. Uh, Kevin, if you win tonight, you will very probably play an MLS team in the next round of the U.S. Open Cup, does the chance to play against a so-called major league club provide any motivation? Absolutely. You know, I think the way the season's gone and 
you know, we've had a few big games this far, but this will be this will be the biggest game by a long shot. You know, we know the reward is there, and you know we're really excited. Now the Riverhounds are undefeated in ten competitive games so far, and have allowed just six goals. What's made the defense so effective to this point in the season? Yeah, obviously, the the new guys are coming in. Um, you know, he puts a big emphasis on on defense. Uh, he has a he has a proven track work record of of having good defensive teams, and uh, you know the boys have worked hard. You know, listen to every word he says, and seems to be paying off. Well, uh, the games I've been at, Kevin, it looks like defensively you guys are a bit bigger and more physical as a result, especially in your own uh, six yard box. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's fair to say. Probably bigger than we were last year for sure. Um, but yeah, he has as well drilled, and you know that we're we're keeping clean sheets for fun right now. How long did it take you? Because you, you have the longest tenure of any player with the Riverhounds, Kevin. How long did it take you to realize that Bob Lilly was the real thing? That he was going to come in and, and get some stuff implemented that was really going to make the team better. You know what? I've, I've been in the league long enough, and I've played enough Bob Lilly teams to know that you know that there was going to. It was going to help the club massively. You know, the club I, of all Bob Lilly's teams, I've never enjoyed playing against. You know, they've always made it immensely hard for for the opposition. And you know, the way things have gone the last two years, I was really excited with the announcement. You know, and I felt like it was just what we needed. And and so far, so good. We've already talked about what he's having you guys do defensively, Kevin. What about offensively? Has he changed your style or tactics at all in terms of going forward? Yeah, definitely. I think, and I think there's still there's still plenty of room to grow. I think when 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 the gaffer come in, it's his number one priority was to show the the defense and make sure we're we're hard to beat. And I think in the last few weeks, uh, you've started to see a bit more of our offense. And I think that moving through the season, um, that's going to be one of the big improvements. We're talking to Riverhounds captain Kevin Kerr. The Riverhounds host FC Cincinnati tonight at Highmark Stadium in a U.S. Open Cup game. Uh, what's it like to get off to a good start like this? It, it's been a long time coming for the club. It, it's got to be great in the dressing room, and I know it's great for the fans so far. Yeah, there's a great buzz around the place. Obviously, you know, with the rebrand um, and all the stuff that went on in the offseason, I think the club wanted to to, to kick on and, and try and move into the into the next level. And The one thing that we've been lacking the last few years is results, so... For the results to be as good as they have been and, and for us to be as high up in the table we are, as we are, you know, it's a really exciting time. Uh, the one negative so far, you guys have five draws. Are the draws a worry? How do you turn those ties into wins? Not at all. I, I think, I think we, we, we could argue that we, sh- we could or should have won every game, um, you know, and I, 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 I believe that comes from our good offense. You know, in this league, if you, if you can keep things tight at the back, you know, and you can have a good offense, you will always get chances. You know, in a few games, we haven't been clinical enough up front, but like I say, with the new gaffer coming in, there's new tactics, that's probably the thing that's going to take the, the longest to gel is the offense. Now, you tied at Cincinnati 2-2 earlier this year in a league game. They're in first place in, in that division, your division of the USL. How do you guys match up with them? What's the game plan against Cincinnati? At least they're a fairly familiar opponent. Yeah, I think for me they're probably the best team we've played so far this season. You know, but we went there in front of a, a hostile crowd. We we led we led them twice. 
You know, they tied it up late, and I think that that's all the confidence we need to really know that we can that we can get a result tonight. You know, if we can go to their place and play so well, um, you know, we're yet to concede a goal at home in the league. So we're we're going to give them a tough game, and, and we're very confident that we can pull it off. Now you mentioned that uh, that scoring goals is going to turn some of these draws into wins, and maybe that's where Romeo Park steps in. He was away from the team for a bit, but he's back this year, and he's starting to turn it up a notch, isn't he? Yeah, I think everyone that's been to a game over the last few years knows how knows his potential and knows how good he he could be. And you know, you know, Bob's hard on him, and he he demands a lot from him. Um, you know, puts a lot of focus on him, so. So if we can get him rolling, then we'll be in a, in, a, in a good place going forward. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time, especially on game day, and good luck tonight. Top man. Thank you very much. That is Kevin Kerr. And any guy who comes on and speaks with a Scottish accent and uses terms like gaffer and top man is welcome here really anytime. Uh, that's the Riverhounds and Cincinnati tonight. Cincinnati draws crazy big crowds. So hopefully the Riverhounds can get a few people down at Highmark tonight and uh, and show that Pittsburgh is an enthusiastic soccer city as well. I, I think they're going to start drawing more people down there because they're winning. They're four wins and five draws in the league. As any Liverpool fan could tell you, you can draw your way into trouble, but uh, but I don't think that's been the case with the Riverhounds yet, and they won a game already in the U.S. Open Cup, and if they win tonight, they'll play an MLS team in the next round of the U.S. Open Cup, and that would be extremely interesting. Okay, let's get back to the Kessel thing. Sullivan apparently isn't happy with Kessel. That was in the paper today. I could have told you that about a week into Sullivan's tenure coaching Kessel. And again, that's not a knock on Phil in particular. Phil is just a quirky player who doesn't fit the mold of the current NHL player, and no coach would be Anything but frustrated coaching him. I mean, you understand what he brings to the table, and no one can say that Sullivan hasn't used Phil properly. I mean, he's out there running the power play from the left circle. He gets a load of ice time, and he's delivered. It's been a good relationship between player and club and between player and coach. But it's still going to be frustrating anytime any coach coaches a player like that, who plays like that, who does what Phil does, but doesn't do what Phil doesn't do. I don't know what's so hard to understand about that. Nobody's trying to run him out of town, not the media, certainly not the fans, and not the Penguins either. But he just is a frustrating guy to coach. Have I said it enough times now? Because I think that's literally 11 times during the first 40 minutes of this program. Do you get it that no one's trying to get rid of Phil or, you know, saying his mother wears army boots? Nobody's insulting Phil. It's just he's that different player. We're also talking about the NFL's new national anthem policy. If you're just tuning in, it's not really a policy as much as it is one giant loophole. Uh, Each team sets its own rules, but the NFL says that all players who are on the field for the anthem must stand at attention. Players may voluntarily remain in the locker room, 
And if a player goes on the field and takes a knee or raises a fist or whatever in protest, the team, not the player, but the team is subject to a fine. This policy just blows out loud and shows how tone deaf the NFL is because if a player stays in the locker room during the anthem, he might as well kneel or raise a fist because he will be identified and he will be villainized. It is amazing that this league, which is a multi-multi-billion dollar industry, is run by a bunch of dopes and rubes. Well, actually, I can't say dopes and rubes. It's just run by out-of-touch white dudes who have way too much money and aren't used to hearing no, aren't used to hearing they're wrong, aren't used to ever thinking they're wrong. Uh, This just in, Ramon Foster spoke on the new policy. The Steelers' guard and said, if the team says this is what we're doing, and ownership does too, you either deal with it or you're probably going to get caught. You could fight the resistance on that one, but same as we can't smoke marijuana because it's illegal in certain states, it's the same issue. You have to adhere to the rules, and if not, they'll find a way to get you up out of there. Actually, I think Ben could kneel during the anthem and smoke marijuana at the same time. I I don't think they'd get rid of him. But I feel you, Ramon. I feel you. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Oh, here's a tweet from Eric. The notion that Phil needs to hit block shots and do other grunt work to appease Sullivan is absurd. He's a Hall of Fame talent that doesn't need to alter his game to appease anyone. Save the grunt work for Tom Kuhnhockel. Eric, no one, not me, not Sullivan, not anybody in the media or fans, no one is saying that Phil has to block shots and hit. It's just frustrating that he doesn't. Does that make any sense? If Sully wanted Phil to block shots and hit, he'd bench him because he doesn't. It's just frustrating that that Phil doesn't fit today's mold. And even more frustrating, forget about the hitting and blocking shots. Phil's work during practice on systematic drills just oozes him not caring about them. And I don't go to practice, so if you want to berate me for that, but I've heard it from too many people, including people on the ice, that I know it's true. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. We got more national anthem. I mean, that that story is just never going away, and maybe that's good. Good for me. I could say that for sure. Going to keep talking about Ray Searage. Actually, we won't talk about Ray Searage because we're not allowed to criticize him because look what he did with Volquez. Look what he did with Liriano. Well, what he did with Liriano for a while because then his ERA ballooned and they couldn't get him out of here fast enough even though I thought they should have kept him in 2016 when they were still in playoff contention. And I can tell you for a fact that the locker room thought that way too. But uh, but Tyon is supposed to be an ace, sooner not later. Glasnow is buried in the bullpen, which nobody thought. Is Searage to be held accountable for that? 412 Oh, wait, now see, this just in. 
Jets chairman Christopher Johnson says he will pay players fines if they take a knee during the anthem. So nothing has been solved. Absolutely nothing has been solved. In fact, it'll be even more of a cluster frig than it was before. You know what, though? It's my excuse to not pay attention to the NFL. Not that I needed much of one. 105.90X. Here's the quote from Christopher Johnson, the New York Jets chairman, who says he will pay any fines imposed on players who take a knee during the anthem. Quote, I do not like imposing any club-specific rules. If somebody on the Jets takes a knee, that fine will be borne by the organization, by me, not the players. I never want to put restrictions on the speech of our players. Do I prefer that they stand? Of course. But I understand if they felt the need to protest. There will be no club fines or suspensions or any sort of repercussions. If the team gets fined, that's something I'll have to bear." Unquote. So the NFL's new policy is no policy at all. Like I said, it's one giant effing loophole. What a bunch of maroons. The only options, there were three options, all of which would have been finite. One is, don't play the national anthem anymore. But then all the uber patrons would have been upset by that. Two, don't have the teams out there, period. Don't make it an option. The teams come out after the anthem. That would have been the smartest thing to do. And the third option is, have all the players out there and whoever kneels, or protest is fined or suspended or ejected or whatever. But instead they tried to, well, what they did was they put the heat on the teams, the pressure on the teams. And I do give this Christopher Johnson from the Jets, the chairman, credit for saying, nah, I don't think so. I don't think you get to make me the jerk, the jerk to my players. By saying what he said and paying the fines if he needs to, this guy, Johnson, the chairman, he's a hero to his players. It's like the the NFL administration was trying to drive a wedge between the team owners and their players. And to what point, I have no idea. And here's something you knew wouldn't be far behind. Mike Pence, the vice president, tweeted about the new NFL rule, hashtag winning. I'll talk more about that after the break, but the NFL has allowed playing the national anthem before football game to become a tool in the hands of Donald Trump and Mike Pence. And if there's one thing they should not have wanted to happen under any circumstances, it is that. The NBA did it right years ago. They said, you got to stand for the anthem. And they quietly allowed one player, Mahmoud abdul Ralph, to stay in the locker room. No Quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at cwelectricalservices.com. Let's go to Zach in Uniontown. Zach. 
You're on the Mark Madden Show. I just had a quick question involving the Penguins um, about Derek Broussard. I was wondering if you thought that he panned out the way that they thought he would. Or no, he obviously he did work. not pan out the way they hoped he would, but that doesn't mean he won't this coming season. Do you think he was worth what they gave away for him? Yes, I do. Very much so. I think giving up a fifth defenseman, a fourth-line right winger, and some other very minor considerations is a heck of a price to pay for a guy who should have been the best third-line center in hockey and may yet be. You would have hoped the deal would have impact for the playoff run. Maybe it'll have big impact by the time next year's playoff run rolls around. And if they would have had Ian Cole and Ryan Reeves, they would not have gone one bit further. And yeah, I know Ryan Reeves is still playing, if you call five minutes a game playing, and Ian Cole isn't, so there you go. One is, one ain't. Let's go to Matt and Baldwin. Matt. You're on with Double M. Hi, how are you doing, Mark? Great. Good, good. Hey, I got a question for you. Uh, you are the super genius, and I was wondering, what does kneeling for the national anthem what are they protesting, and, and what does that have to do with the national anthem? Well, Colin Kaepernick is is protesting uh, injustice against black uh, people in America. Well, what does the national anthem have to do with that? Because I, I it's a time to get your, your message across, and he did. By kneeling during the anthem, people asked him about it, and it gave him a platform. That's that makes no sense to me. Actually, what, actually, what? if you don't mind losing your career, which Kaepernick has, it makes perfect sense. In terms, <laughs> of, it, I'm not That's laughing. Exactly right. I mean, you're some oh. stupid hillbilly, and you can laugh all you want about a serious situation. But, but Colin Kaepernick did get his message out there. It was very well thought out, but I didn't think he thought he'd lose his career, which he has. He ain't going to play again. There's going to be yeah, bitching and lawsuits and accusations of collusion. Colin Kaepernick ain't going to play again. Let's go to Jeff and Irwin. Jeff, you're on with Double M. Yes, I have a question. Do you think finding the players for not for kneeling during the national anthem will really affect everything? Anything considering how much they make? Not if the well, well, some of them it will. But if the owner, if the chairman, like the chairman of the Jets says, the team will pay the players fine, it won't affect them at all. Like I said, this isn't a solution. It's not a policy. It's one big, giant loophole. Ramon Foster said something very prescient. And that is, if you don't do what the team says, they'll find a way to get rid of you. The fine is the tangible punishment. Colin Kaepernick just got his career ended. Eric Reed got his career probably 